So let's do this. Let's turn to Matthew. We are still on our way through um, Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 8. So let's get there. And last week, we talked about the faith of the centurion, and we kind of, kind of stayed on this idea that a centurion, if, if we're being appropriate with like history and memory and everything, is absolutely the oppressor and the enemy. It's not like the oppressor, like a Samaritan, like they defeated, right? The Samaritan to the Jewish people were like dogs. The centurion was, was the really powerful dog that held them at bay, right? It's very different. It's a different kind of enemy. It's a different kind of hatred, right? And so Jesus is met with the centurion right after he talks about what the kingdom of heaven is, right? This, the, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount is like this, is what the kingdom of heaven looks like through a person, right? It, there's no room for hatred any longer in this person because love is all that they live on and live by, right? There's no room for, for lust in this person because the love and respect and care they give everyone they meet leaves no room for selfishness to abide in that person, right? The, the right hand and left hand don't know what they're doing because giving is too important. And, and they go through these things, and then what we have right away, right when Jesus comes down off of this mountain, is an opportunity to show what the kingdom of heaven does. Who's the first healing again after this message about what, how beautiful the kingdom is, how revolutionary, what's the first healing? You can answer if you want. I'm not, it wasn't disrespectful, but please answer. A leper, right? This, this one, this outcast one. This one that is, maybe had to watch his own funeral, that may have to ring a bell when he comes in. He has to call with a loud voice, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, no one touch me even though that's all I want, right? No one come close to me, even though that's the only thing I need, right? Please get my family away from me so, they don't, so they're not killed and they can be clean, right? This whole idea. Jesus heals this person. The next one is their absolute enemy, even, even more the oppressor, the one holding them down, the one that has killed their brother or their uncle, the one whose servant is sick. And Jesus cares about this one. Right? So again, we have the show of what the kingdom is. And then we're going to keep going and, and have more of that. And it says this in verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched, okay, I, real quick. If Peter has a mother-in-law, he has a... Okay, that's important for the second part of this story. Right? It's important for the second part of the story. Just... just if you didn't know some of the disciples were married, let's just, they are. <laughs> they have mother-in-laws too. And they were at her house. By obligation or for fun or who knows. And she's sick, right? So this is just part of it. And this is very important for what comes after, okay? It's, it's just important. Um, I'm not even trying to be silly there. It is important. Caesar's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. He touches her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all of the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Um, that also is important. 
the passage there, we're not, we're not going to get into it, it's too much. But he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. What does it mean to bear something rather than to remove something? If you bear something, what do you do? You help carry it, right? You take it upon you, right? If Jacob bears my backpack, he doesn't be like, let's take this backpack and throw it in the creek, man. You don't need it anymore, right? That's loosing me of the backpack or removing it. Those are like New Testament words. Well, I wouldn't say loosing me of the backpack. But you know, you would do that. But if Jacob is going to bear the burden of my backpack with me, he carries it on himself. That's important also, okay? Just for who Jesus is to these people, who they, how they see Jesus. Jesus isn't this magician. He is the bear with. That is important. It's like crazy, crazy important for us, okay? Um, but right now, the story is beautiful. It's lovely. Jesus is healing all these people. They're all coming to him. Everyone's getting their diseases bore with someone else. Lepers don't have leprosy. They're hugging their children and weeping. You know, mothers get husbands back. Husbands get wives back. There's, there's sons and daughters reunited. This is just beautiful. It's beautiful, right? Peter's own family, his mother-in-law no longer has a fever. She's well, you know. It wasn't a sin after all. Jesus took care of it for her, right? This is, this is a good time in the game right now, right? The teaching is accepted. We have all these healings. And then comes the next part of the story. And I want to say, before we get into this, it's going to be about the cost of discipleship, like what it takes to follow Jesus. Now, we have listened to the Sermon on the Mount and all these things, and we've said over and over, and y'all have echoed back to me on a screen when I can't see you, and it's just me saying it over and over, but I know you, you agree in, in a lot of these ways. Sermon on the Mount is not black and white, right? It's, it's more than saying sin less. It's not saying this is the, the sin management gospel. We talked about that from Dallas Willard's book, and we've, we've discussed that. It's, it's this area of no, where does it come from? What are the origins of this? And then a lot of us have probably heard, if we grew up in church, or if we've maybe even read this, we use the next passage like a litmus test. We use this next passage like it's absolutely black and white, and I think it hurts our interpretation of what's happening with Jesus. Because Jesus goes through this entire story and this, this entire message and proclamation of like, this is the kingdom. I'm excited to share it with you. You should be excited to receive it. This is better than all of you thought it would be. And then we have this next passage in that same vein. Okay, so I want us to just hear it in that same vein. And it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders for them to go to the other side. That's to go to the other side of like the lake or the sea that's there. Um, and a scribe came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, what is a scribe? What, who is that? What's their, what's, say anything about them that you know, and I'll make it like it's right if it's not right. It'll be totally fine. If you're like, scribe starts with an S, I'll be like, you know it. You're correct. So anything about a scribe that you know? They do. So many things. Can be. What do they... No, 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 that's, that is actually still correct. No, you're still good. Yeah, and no, I'm not faking on either one of you. So, 
<laughs> so what is um what do they what do they what does this one probably write historically? Probably Old Testament, right? Probably historical books of the Jewish culture and of the Jewish at the time, Torah, Canon, Pentateuch, whatever we want to call it. Probably those things. Yes. So it would be writing down history. Why would do it? Why would they do that? So they don't have a printer. Yeah, keep the record. Why, why else? Any of you? Any of you in college take notes? I didn't very much. If you took notes. If you're studying for a test, I had friends that were good students. They would rewrite their notes over and over again, right? What does that help do? It's your memory, right? It doesn't just jog your memory, it seals it in there, right? To write down the words that are important to your culture are important, first of all, to, to solidify the culture, to keep it going. There's this wonderful book you all should read, by, I think, Thomas Cahill called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's the most wonderful thing about scribes that will make us never hate them again. They just had this, they have this beautiful job that's just, they save the world for so long because they kept, like, education going, kept, anyway. But that's them. So this person, this person is, is writing these things down and they have, they have gone to school for a very long time to be this. They, their schooling is not just who has the best penmanship, okay? It's not that, because then Lily would win. It's like her superpower, right? But it's not that. That's not what they're doing. It's also memory, because as you get into a groove, when you're remembering it, you can write it better. The accent marks are more clear. You make less mistakes because you know what is coming, right? You have all these things that, that help you as a scribe. They would have school forever. They're usually incredibly brilliant, top of their class. They get to be a scribe, okay? It would be, there's writings about scribes taking a scroll that would be massive, massive, and unrolling it quickly to the spot they know the person is going to teach about. They, they just understand the scriptures of that time and other historical writings beautifully because they know all of them, okay? Important person, good person, right? Also, Someone very much in charge, someone very elevated in the hierarchy of what it takes to be a, a right Jewish person, right? Because they write this all the time, they must know them all the time and follow them all the time as well, right? So the scribe comes to Jesus, and what does he say? I will go wherever you go. Teacher, I am ready to be a follower of yours. Now, is this risky or is this normal at this time? It's incredibly risky for this person to say that. We, we harp on this person and act like he didn't go, which the scriptures don't even say afterwards, by the way. But this, this scribe is going to leave an elevated position and go with this Jesus who is subversive and teaching something that he hasn't heard, but he loves it and is seeing what Jesus does, likes the idea and wants to go, meets this revolution with enthusiasm, right? And says, I, and voices it in front of everyone, which is, which is, to him would be such a shame. It would be such a wrong thing for him to do. So this person, just what I'm trying to say, he's good. <laughs> we would like him. In our 
we would be like, ah, this guy, what a guy, right? And Jesus says to this guy, he says this, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is this, right? What what does that mean? Translate that quickly into like, now. What does that mean? Anyone? Don't interpret it. Don't interpret it yet. Just what does that mean? They don't got a bed. They don't have a house, right? Now, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is that true? Does Jesus not ever sleep anywhere? Does Jesus never sleep? Where is he right now saying that? He's in Peter's mom's house. They're serving him, feeding him. He's got a place to stay, right? He's not probably sleeping in a manger every night since his birth. Probably, right? It doesn't mean Jesus is lying here, but that, I've heard so many times, I'm pointing to the blue, I've heard so many times that this means, right, you can't have a house. You have to be mobile all the time. You can't, you can't, you know, anything. I can't even remember any examples anymore. I have them written somewhere else. But it's this idea of like, you have to be ready to be homeless at, at any time and you can't be, you, you, know, you can't have safety for your kids and you can't hope for this. That is, that is not what this is saying. Jesus is, is listing, is saying, look, here's what can happen to you. But, Here's what I'm ready to bear with you. You will do this with me. Because does he say, you won't have a place to stay. You won't have a place to lay your head. Foxes have these things. You will be lower than the animals. No. What does it say? The son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is saying, but I I don't have the status of owning property. And I may never. I may never get to have a home like the one we might be standing in right now with a wife and children and a mother-in-law to heal. I may not get that. Are you ready, though, to be one with one who may not have that? Who isn't going to be famous in this world and wealthy in this world and have, have this right Jewish family? Are you ready to associate yourself with one? Are you ready to tie your life to one who may not ever have a place of his own and may have never made it? Are you ready to do that? Because if you are, then come on with us. Because I may never have a place. I may have a place. I may have a place like this where everyone honors me. Sometimes people are going to put ointment on my feet and wash them with their hair. It's going to be awkward for everyone else in the room but me. It's going to be great. And that's going to be wonderful. People are going to invite me to the best parties and the worst parties this whole time. Sometimes I'm going to get treated like a king. And they're going to put me in the best bed of their house. And sometimes I'll sleep outside. Some people will love me and some people will hate me. If you're okay being one with that, follow me. This is a different message than he gives the rich young ruler, and we act like they're all the same. The rich young ruler, he says, you got to sell everything you have. 
everything and give it away. Don't just sell it. Give it somewhere. Find the joy of giving everything you've worked for to someone else. Find it and enjoy that joy and let's do this together. This guy, he just tells him about his life. (laughs) This is the reality of me. You want to go, let's do it. We don't know if he does, right? In the next passage, someone else comes and listen to this. Another one of the disciples said to him, So this scribe might consider himself one of the disciples because it's another disciple, right? But another one of the actual disciples, one that has been following Jesus, says this to Jesus. Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, that one is tricky, right? I remember hearing this as a little kid and thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? I, I honestly heard this passage for the first time right after my um, great-grandfather passed away. And I didn't go to the funeral because I was nervous. I, I was like five or six, and I hadn't gone to a funeral before. So my parents asked me, do you want to go to this? And I was like, I don't think that I do. They're like, yeah, then don't. Let's not worry about it. You know, don't, don't go. It's okay. And I heard this passage, I'm serious, like that probably next weekend you know, and had this teaching that was like, I thought bad um, or inaccurate, whatever. It was like this idea of like, you shouldn't care to even honor your parents for the sake of like the gospel. I'm like, well, if he says honor your parents, that's weird, but that's fine. And it was just very confusing to me. But what, what is involved, what does this man mean by let me bury my father. Do we know what that means? Or what have you heard? You can say whatever again. I'll be like, sure. Anyone? This term, let me bury my father, is not necessarily the idea of let me go to the funeral. Okay? That could be part of it, but oftentimes, let me bury my father is this idea of let me transfer my father's wealth, debts, belongings. Let me situate all the houses. Let me situate who's in charge of the family now. Let me get things set up for my mother. Let me also make sure my single sisters have someone to care for them. Let me also do this, 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 this. There's this huge list of what it means to bury one's father. It's not just, oh my, he's not more than likely, and I can't, this is not 100%, more than likely, the guy's dad didn't die yesterday, and he comes up and says, I know you're about to leave, but can you wait like a day? I have a funeral to go to. That's almost positively not it, right? It's more likely he's saying, there's a lot of things, personal things I need to handle here for my family. I'll have to catch up with you later. Can we just wait? Can, can we wait for a while? And Jesus' answer to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Come follow me right now is not, and we can, we can read this however, and it's okay for us to like scripture or not like how something sounds. First of all, that's wonderful to let ourselves do. And I, I, I don't think I'm like defending Jesus as a grown-up not being upset and letting that sound callous. I think the idea here is Jesus is saying, look, 
we all know what happens when you bury a father. We all know how long that can take you and how involved you'll think you need to get. We all know the, the arguments that are going to come from the family. We all, know, we all know just the story of that. But right now, the urgent matter is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm asking you to still enjoy the kingdom of heaven at hand. It is urgent. It is happening now. It is all about us. The dance of God is here. You're getting lost in cultural things. You're getting lost in the security of things. You're letting yourself worry about all of these things. But right now, this moment, the kingdom of heaven is happening all around me. Let's go enjoy it together. Now, this is also what's happening right then. (laughs) There are many times where we have family move to us so that we can take care of them. (laughs) It This is what I mean by this is not a a litmus test of if you love God or not. We hope very much that Lily's family moves to Austin soon-ish for us to love them and care for them. If we do that, we are kind of saying, we're not moving from Austin because their family's coming with us. We're not doing that. I don't think that makes us this. Let fathers and mothers do their own thing. You have to go, right? If, if that's our opportunity to love them and honor them and take care of that, I, we feel good about that, right? But, but this is the enjoyable things for us to ask about the kingdom because it's not black and white. For some of us, it may be just that. For, for the Townsends, it may be that they have to drive to Wichita for months and months like your mom did to take care of her mother, right? And then now to have her closer, and to take care of her mother. I think God is incredibly honored with that, right? Incredibly. And then for some of us, it may be moving with someone's grandkids to India or Nepal or to Guam or wherever else you're going to go because something else is happening. The kingdom of heaven is happening and you are, you are to be uniquely tied to it in a different way. There is no, we just get to enjoy Jesus in these questions. We just get to enjoy Jesus in the difficulty of the teaching. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay their head. And you're like, okay, so buy the house or not, though? I was really just asking that. I really just want to know, should I have a mortgage or not? But you're making it stressful now because you're talking about foxes. I don't really care about foxes. You know, you, you have all those questions, and that's the, that's the joy of it. That's the joy of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is teaching all of them about the kingdom. And, and I want us to just realize that that tension can be a joy for us and can help us press in more and can help us try to actually learn the voice of God to us and what that would mean to us. So let's do this. Let's stand together. Um, if, if Jamie and Taylor would come back up. Um, we're going to have communion together. And here's what I want us, if, if this, this time for you, here's what I want us to ask in communion. If you have some decision ahead of you, or if you just basically are, are hoping for direction in the kingdom, just know 
First of all, Jesus will bear it with you. If you have a nest or a hole in the ground or you don't, Jesus is with you. If you're burying a father or planning to care for one, or if you're planning to leave them far away, Jesus bears that with you. That's what's beautiful about this entire thing. Is that the disciples also had to have hard conversations with their wives and their children and their mother-in-laws and figure out what was right for them at that time. Should we really follow this guy? They may kill him. I have kids. They may do this. What am I supposed to do? Right? If, if, am I really supposed to spend all that we've saved here? Is this, is this it? They had to ask hard questions too with their spouses, with their people, with their families. Their father-in-laws probably thought they were making bad choices. Who knows? But that's what they were doing. That's what Jesus asked them to do, and that's what Jesus joined them in. And so I just want us, as we're going to take communion in a little bit, to not be afraid to ask, when we're asking direction, we're asking what to do, not be afraid of those things. Not be afraid of, of it not being black and white. Not being afraid of being like, I don't love that answer, but teach me what that answer means. Is that to me right now? You know, all those things, okay? So let's, let's um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to enter our time of communion, and we'll, we'll go through that. So God, we, we ask that this would um, be a passage for us to enjoy, that it would be a, um, hopefully an encouragement to us to know that when we struggle and we say, is now the time to urgently leave whatever safety it may be, whatever job it may be, whatever this it may be, is this the time for that? Is that what you're asking? And to listen for a response. Um, in Jesus' name.